Hello there, this is Mark Bauerlein with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. Located in the foothills of Wyoming's spectacular Wind River Range, Wyoming Catholic College, an accredited four-year Great Books Institution, is built on the ancient Western tradition of the liberal arts and the freedom of the American West. The college offers its students an immersion in the primary sources of the classical tradition, the grandeur of the mountain wilderness, and the spiritual heritage of the Catholic Church. Students experience the illumination of imagination and intellect through the great books and traditional disciplines, literature and philosophy, mathematics and theology, science and Latin, and an outdoor program second to none. The college celebrated an in-person graduation with its seniors last year and welcomed its largest freshman class ever this year. Learn more about the college's unique space in the world of American higher education at wyomingcatholic.edu. We have with us today Anna Virsbicka. She is Professor Emerita at the Australian National University in Canberra. Her books include What Did Jesus Mean? Explaining the Sermon on the Mount and the Parables in Simple Universal Concepts and Imprisoned in English, the Hazards of English as a Default Language. She has a new book out called What Christians Believe with Oxford Press. The subtitle is the story of God and people in minimal English. Welcome, Professor Virzbeka. Thank you, Mark. Thank you very much for inviting me. Well, uh, first, just a, a, a definition. What is, quote, minimal English? What do you mean by that? Well, what we call minimal English, colleagues and mine, is a radically simplified form of English. Uh, which corresponds very largely to similarly reduced, radically reduced versions of other languages. So there is not only minimal English, but also minimal Russian, minimal Polish, minimal Chinese, and so on. Uh, and uh, so in other words, we believe that there is a shared core in human languages, and that if we get down <laughs> to a reduced version of any one of them, we can talk to people speakers of other languages uh, through sh in a shared conceptual language that's mm -hmm. the idea and and the 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 commonality uh, is really out to clarify to communicate uh, to to get down to make, make sure that we're all clear on on the basics that that's that's the that's the overall goal correct Yes, except that, uh, well, minimal English uh, is for communication with other people, but it is also in clear for clear thinking. We have, uh, I think, established that you can get your own thoughts much more uh, clearly. You can understand what you think if you get down to the words which are absolutely clear and uh, simple. That's essentially the idea which was already expressed by uh, C.S. Lewis in his Mere Christianity. He, he said that he came to understand that he, if he can't explain complex ideas to himself in what he called the vernacular, then he really doesn't understand them. But for us, it's not just a vernacular, but it's the core of English, the core of any language which corresponds to that shared core of all human languages. 
Now, 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 Anna, this really runs against all the wisdom that I absorbed in graduate school when I was in the humanities in the 80s and, you know, the days of high theory in which I was taught to avoid uh, simple, clear uh, phrasings at all costs and to be as, as obscure and turgid and, and <laughs> oblique as I possibly could. Yes, yes, I know what you mean. <laughs> So anyway, we'll forget about that. But uh, okay, let, let's get down to some of the minimizations or, or clarifications in the book. You begin not with a what question, but a who question. Who really counts as a Christian? Who is a Christian? What's your answer? Yes. Well, there's there are two questions here, which perhaps we can distinguish. Who are Christians and what is, uh, what is Christian faith? And it seems to me that absolutely the touchstone, a touch, a touchstone for this is the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed is really what we Christians share in faith. There are some so-called non-credal churches who don't use the Nicene Creed regularly in the in the worship and so on. But mm -hmm. as, as far as the Christian faith is concerned, shared Christian faith, then I think that's the touchstone. So I try to, my definition of Christians in what Christians believe is those who accept, who want to accept in faith the Nicene Creed. And, and it is, is the language of the Nicene Creed pretty, pretty much minimal English, or do we need to go further with, with that? Oh no, the, the language of the Nicene Creed is not minimal at all. Okay. And that's why the, the Nicene Creed has to be unpacked, in my view, in uh, minimal languages for people to understand it. For example, when the Nicene Creed says about Jesus that he came down from heaven and was incarnate of the Virgin Mary, well, first of all, most people don't understand what this means. And second, you cannot translate this into most languages of the world. Well, because they wouldn't have a word like incarnate, for example. So right. the Nicene Creed is extremely compressed, and that's what it was meant to be. It's a distillation of faith as encapsulated and as expressed in the New Testament. But for people to understand it, we have to unpack it, trying to be to remain as faithful as we can, as we can, to the, what we see as the intended meaning of the Nicene Creed. But it has to go down to a very small number of words and phrases which you can find in all languages. Okay. Uh, you next turn to the necessity of understanding the, quote, speech culture of the Bible. What, what do you mean by that? Yes, well, I think that's the aspect which is really um, most misunderstood or not understood, not recognized, as far as I can see, in theology. And the effects are often very, very harmful. The whole idea of what German theologians used to call, uh, call the Drohrede, the language of uh, threats and uh, warnings, which really is the very characteristic 
characteristic feature of the speech of Hebrew prophets, and which Jesus accepted to some extent, to a large extent. But this is generally not recognized. And it seems to me that, for example, the uh, prevailing confusions about a uh, confusion about uh, what people do, call hell and what's going to happen to, 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 to us all in afterlife. Mm -hmm. This is misunderstood because of the lack of understanding of that drawrede. You actually say that we, what we must do is put Jesus's words much more often than we do, quote, in conversation with the Old Testament, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I, I quote somewhere recently, uh, or maybe in the book, I can't remember one of the two books that you mentioned, uh, the Jewish uh, scholar Pinchas Lapide, and he says, well, Jesus spoke exactly like the Hebrew prophets. Uh, he was raised on their language. Well, I think he maybe exaggerates a little bit because Jesus didn't speak exactly as they, uh, they did. But the basic conventions of uh, using threats, the language of threats, uh, of uh, or warnings, uh, uh, presenting them as if he was talking about what is actually going to happen to some people. It is there, it is there, and this is very largely misunderstood. Uh, well, not by everyone. I, I think that there are people who, theologians, who, who start to understand this to some extent. But the whole field of what we call cross-cultural pragmatics, the study of different uh, genres and ways of speaking characteristic of different cultures, that's actually a largely new area which developed in the last few decades. So this is not very widely known to theologians. That's mm -hmm. my perception. Mm -hmm. Now, when we talk about either that speech culture or minimal English, uh, you, you pose the question of how an ordinary common vocabulary can reach or impart or describe something so extraordinary, uncommon, transcendent, infinite as God. Is this, is this a problem that the prophets and Jesus and others professing the faith have to address? Well, I think that as compared with theologians, Jesus used a relatively simple language. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, he, was, he wasn't speaking like a semanticist because incarnation involved, included his incarnation in a particular language and in a particular culture. So he spoke like an ordinary human being, and therefore he did not speak in minimal Aramaic or minimal Greek. But it's relatively simple. But still, we have to try to rethink everything he said, in my view, through concepts, through words, which all human beings shared, because ultimately he wanted to address all people and not just Jews or or. or, or Greeks. <laughs> he wanted to address everyone, so the ideas the message, Jesus' message, must be universal. And we can only articulate it as a universal message if we articulate it in words and phrases that all people, in principle, can understand. Yeah. Well, I can give you examples, but maybe you would yes, like to yes. comment on what I said. Uh, well, I, I, I was going to pose an example uh, of uh, what, what, what you brought up a few minutes ago, the incarnation. How would yes. you... How would you translate 
incarnation? How would you minimize that, that word? Yes. Well, thank you for this question. I'm very interested in this, uh, well, partly because I'm trying to slightly to improve on the version of the incarnation, which I have in the book, What Christians Believe. Uh, but first of all, as I've already mentioned, what we hear in the creed, in the Nicene Creed, is that he came down from heaven and was incarnate of the Virgin Mary. So most people don't understand what this means, so where can they find an explanation? Well, you might think that they might find an explanation, for example, in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. But you, look, you turn to the Catechism of the Catholic Church and what do you find? I will give you two sentences from the Catechism. The first, at the time appointed by God, the only Son of the Father, the eternal Word, and incarnate, without losing the divine nature, he has assumed human nature. Well, I think that most people can't understand it either. <laughs> and uh, furthermore, it certainly cannot be translated into other languages because most languages don't have a word like uh, incarnate, but also a word like nature and certainly a word like divine. And if you bear with me, let me just read one more sentence from yes, the Catechism. Yes. Go ahead. Well, the Holy Spirit is sent to sanctify the womb of the Virgin, of the Virgin Mary and, and divinely fecundate it. I don't know if I'm pronouncing the word correctly. Fecundate it, uh, causing mm -hmm. it to conceive the eternal Son of the Father uh, in a humanity drawn uh, from uh, her own. Well, I mean, who can understand it? <laughs> and, and how can you translate it? Impossible. So, uh, if I can give you an example of how I try to rethink it uh, in minimal English or minimal Polish, Polish is my native language, mm -hmm. but anyway, uh, I, let me just read a few sentences to you, if I may, yes. from the uh, slightly uh, improved version of this chapter. So, one day in Nazareth, Mary saw an angel. The angel said to her, Mary, God is with you. You are not like other women. God wants something very, very good to happen to you. Something will now happen in your body. Because of this, after some time, you will give birth to a child, a son. You will call him Jesus. Mary could have said, I don't want this. She didn't say it. She said, if God wants it, I want it to happen to me, as you say. At that moment, something happened in Mary's body. It happened because the Holy Spirit was with her. Her. Because it happened sometime after this, Mary gave birth to a child, a son. She called him Jesus. There well, it is. Yeah. <laughs> are all these words and phrases universal? Well, no, there are some exceptions. For example, I use the word angel, which does not occur in all languages. Uh, and this word, it's very, it's culture specific, of course, but it's very important to the culture of the New Testament and to the to Christian faith, to the whole story, Christian story. So I have to introduce it, but I can explain it through universal words separately in some kind of cultural uh, dictionary. I, I've just checked, for example, the a, a copy of um, the New Testament, which I happen to have in the Australian language, Pichinchuchera, just to see how they coped with the word angel. And here it is. They just use the English word angel. 
So that's right, because they didn't have their own word to use it, but we can explain it separately through universal uh, words. And is there anything else? I really can't see here anything other than words which we find in all languages. Hmm. Let's pause for a moment to ask if you were looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium. That's the University of Dallas in Irving, Texas. Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the university offers an exceptional liberal arts education with undergraduate and graduate programs in arts and sciences, business, and ministry, as well as a campus in Rome, Italy, all of them preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. How many other people are working in this direction? A lot of scholars? Or are yes, you, are you, yes. you've got a community of people along yes, these lines. Yes, a community of people. Well, there are dozens of people. I think, I, I don't know what the exact number is, but there are a few dozen people who are actively working in NS, in this framework. We call it NSM work, uh, framework, which comes from the natural semantic metalanguage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and there are, you know, we've been doing this for decades, trying to identify what this shared core of all languages is and how meanings are packaged differently yeah. and differently expressed in different languages. It, 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 again, Anna, it runs so contrary to my, my academic training, which is always about looking for nuance and complication and ambiguity and irony and, and complexity. And so when I, when I was reading, uh, for instance, your version of Jesus before Pilate and how, how you want to stay rigorously concrete in, in the simple dialogue, uh, such as Pilate's wife telling Pilate, quote, your, your version would be, don't do anything bad to this good man. And that, you see, sufficiently gets to the, the core of that moment. And, and that's that's where that's where we have to begin, and as you do commentaries later on in the book, you don't try to complicate that basic minimal expression. It's really more that you you try to uh, you you amplify it, you 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 give it more more fullness. But these can be placed in pretty simple terms. That's your conviction. Yes, yes, yes. Well, whenever it comes to Jesus' words, I try to stay as close to them as possible. Uh, but, well, not it's not always possible because Jesus didn't speak in, always in uh, minimum Aramaic. So sometimes I have to slightly modify uh, his words. Well, for example, <clears throat> uh, this is not an example from the conversation with uh, pilot, but this is one which is very much on my mind. Uh, one, one of the most crucial sentences in the New Testament, uh, Jesus says, I and my father are one. Uh, I was just reading a story, the, 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 the sentence recently with my two five-year-old grandsons whom I'm trying to introduce to theology. And this says, sentence um, is actually very simple, but they puzzle what does it mean? How are they one? But 
in the retelling of this in the story of God and people um, and in my current work, I don't actually say I and my father are one because not all languages have the word and, if you can believe this. Hmm. It seems so intuitive to speakers of languages like English. So I rephrase it in the book. I rephrase it slightly as follows. It is not like this. I am one. My father is another. It is like this. We are one. And this is totally cross-translatable into any human language. And I think that's what Jesus meant. So, and if we turn to the conversation with Pilate, well, here the crucial word is truth. Truth. Right? Well, uh, Anna, what is is truth? (laughs) Well, exactly, what is truth? Well, the first question is, uh, do all languages have a word like truth? If you want to convey this into all languages, well, actually you can't, because truth is an abstract noun, and not all languages have abstract nouns. So you have to rethink what Jesus actually meant. Well, the sentence is crucial because that's one place in the New Testament where Jesus explains his mission, okay, which people understand in many different ways. But that's, to my mind, this is the crucial place he explains that for this I was born uh, to, to give witness to the truth. And for this I've come here on earth and so on. So, so how can we... Uh, rethink what Jesus means without using an abstract noun, which is not cross-translatable. Uh, and uh, the word true, thank God, is universe. So in every single language, you find the words good and bad and true. So hmm. you can use the word true. Uh, so I rephrased Pilate's uh, sentence, what is truth, as uh, how can we know what is true? Or how can people know what is true? It seems to me that essentially this is what Pilate had in mind. How, how much did, was this approach uh, discussed in your previous book, Imprisoned in English, The Hazards of English as a Default Language? Uh, well, I, I think that's a major problem if, if human sciences in general now that we people really think through English, and uh, as, as English, the role of English in the world increases, it's become even more accepted to 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 think and comment to think that you can say anything through full complex English, and other people have to learn it and so on if they want to say anything true and important about anything. But that's not my view, and or the view of my colleagues. We have to de-anglify our thinking. Well, Jesus wasn't is writing and speaking for speakers of English. He really wanted to uh, reach all people. I don't discuss this specifically in in present in English, but I look at the various other uh, areas there, like, for example, ethics, human ethics, values, what is good, what is bad, how, wh- wh- what is bad for people to do, what is good for people to do, uh, what, how it is good for people to live, and so on. But there are other areas. This, this approach is uh, applied to uh, many, many different areas, including human emotions and inter- interpersonal relations, psychology, international relations, uh, agricultural development, through the work of some of my colleagues, and so on. So much of it is discussed in the, that book which you mentioned, Imprisoned in English in relation to those various other domains. People just don't want to believe, you know, that you can't take English for granted. 
that's essentially it. Uh, let's go back to another episode, the Annunciation. You, you talk about the Annunciation, you, you, you do a minimal language uh, exercise on that, and then you also later add the commentaries, the contextualizations of that. How would you characterize the Annunciation in minimal English terms? Well, that's I just read you the, the version in uh, minimal English. Uh, you can't really. Def- I, I wouldn't start with the word annunciation, right? Because I would just start with the simple words that what happened. The angel Mary saw an angel okay. one day in Nazareth. Mary saw an angel, and he said, and she said. So that's how I go into it. Okay. And there are no words like annunciation or incarnation or even conceive. Uh, or, or of, of course that the, the role of the Holy Spirit is very difficult to uh, explain. I, I, I looked at the uh, catechism for children, the version, the kid, uh, you at for kids version, how they deal it. Sometimes they really do things well, much better, I think, than the you um, had for, for young people, or not to mention the catechism of the Catholic Church. So they said, they, they say in that book for kids, they say the Holy Spirit did it, or did this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, I, I, I can see the effort there, but I don't think that's the best solution, because that's not how the New Testament speaks about the Holy Spirit. But mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit was with her. It happened in her body, because the Holy Spirit was with her at that moment. That seems to me to work well. Yeah. I don't know what you're saying. No, 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 no. That I was sort of turning from the incarnation down to the, the enunciation part with this, this encounter and the way you put it. Well, one question one might ask is, uh, and you raised this uh, in your desire to clear up confusions, for instance, how God can at once regret the crucifixion uh, the father can regret it, but also have it run according to his plan. Now, when you convert into minimal English, are you out to eliminate paradox and contradiction, or simply put those paradoxes and contradictions, retain them, but put them in simpler terms? I actually don't see any contradictions uh, in the New Testament. If you unpack the meaning uh, of the whole, of of everything we read in the New Testament, I find a very coherent story. Um, But uh, you can see the coherence uh, of the story uh, through simple words, such as uh, what did God want and what did, did God know? I don't use the word plan. The word plan is confusing. And St. Peter in his speech in the Acts says, uh, speaks about God's foreknowledge. That's fine. So before it happened, God always knew that this would happen. You can say it in any language. But the word plan is uh, well, it could be misleading. It could sound as if God wanted people, some people, to crucify Jesus. Well, in my view, God didn't want people to crucify Jesus, but he knew that they would if he went to live with people on earth and if he uh, told people about God and show, uh, in a sense, uh, God to people and so on. This would happen. Uh, So God didn't want it to happen, but God knew that this would happen. And there is no contradiction, in my view. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
Should we consider the Holy Spirit in terms of a who or a what? Oh, definitely, in terms of uh, who. It seems to me that's the big difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, that's in the, 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 the idea of the uh, Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit appears, of course, in the Old Testament, uh, but in the Old Testament, uh, the Holy Spirit is not being talked about as who. And this is the very big change which occurs in the New Testament. Uh, well, I, I, I documented somewhere, I can't remember, maybe in the chapter on the Holy Spirit, uh, how it is. Uh, and this is the introduction to the crucial uh, Christian idea and if, of, of the Trinity. Of course, the word like Trinity doesn't occur in the New Testament, and it doesn't occur in the New Testament. And in fact, I think for many people, people, the word Trinity is just causes tremendous difficulties. We, we actually don't need the word Trinity uh, to talk uh, about God in the way Jesus did, but we have to speak about the uh, Father uh, and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And and that, well, this is a new idea, new in, in, in the sense of in the last few decades, 50 years or 60 years, I don't know, maybe a bit more, the idea that <clears throat> Jesus speaks about uh, the Father and himself as we, and the idea that this we can come to include someone someone else, this, this spirit, we. Uh, you uh, spend several pages on a curious Greek word, hilasterion. Uh, what does that mean, and why is that important? Well, it's... Very important because uh, it is about the, the, the purpose of Jesus' coming to live on earth. Uh, and this is, uh, uh, this was translated, this word hilasterion, uh, which has a long story, uh, history in the Old Testament. It really refers to God's presence with people. But uh, Saint Jerome, as far as I remember, you know, uh, into translated this into Latin as a propitiatio, or pro and this had a disastrous consequences, it seems to me, in the whole history of Western theology, uh, where people, theologians interpreted it in terms of Jesus being uh, somehow sacrificed by the Father, uh, so instead of people, uh, well, you, 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 know, you, know, you know those ideas of uh, propitiation, which really are born, in my view, from that mistranslation of the word hilasterion uh, by, by, by St. Jerome. Uh, essentially, th there is no such idea. Yes, the, the metaphor of ransom is there in the New Testament, but it has to be understood as a metaphor. Jesus didn't come in order to ransom human beings from somebody, either from the wrath of his father or from Satan, as some theologians claimed at various points. Uh, he just, what was the purpose of Jesus coming on earth in simple and clear words? Well, in my view, he came here so that people can uh, know the Father. Uh, he can, they, people can know that God loves them and, and they can know how much God loves them and that uh, they can, uh, but when they learn to know God, they can love God and they can love other people and be 
because of this they can live with God, they can live with Jesus, they can live with other people forever. And it seems to me that this is essentially very consistent with how the many early fathers of the church interpreted this. Uh, not in terms of any ransom, uh, literally taken literally, or uh, any propitiation, as if God the Father needed to be propitiate, propitiated by somebody. It, it creates a disastrous uh, image of, of, of God, which of course puts many people off of Christianity as, as the religion of love. And the word hilasterion occurs also in the first uh, letter of uh, St. John, uh, where it occurs in the context of him talking about God as, as, as love. God is love. That's something terribly important. Again, you have to um, translate it into minimal languages because you can't say God is love in any language because love is an abstract noun. So you have to uh, rethink it in simpler terms. But that's the idea. Not that God wanted something very bad to happen to Jesus, that God wanted people to kill Jesus in order that uh, people are not co uh, condemned to eternal torment forever. The book is... What Christians Believe, the Story of God and People in Minimal English. Professor Wiersbecke, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Max. Thank you very much for this opportunity. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877 Three three two two nine three zero.